Oh, good. God bless you. Amen. Exodus chapter 2. I want to talk to you about Miriam today. But not just about Miriam, but about you and me and our stance with God. The story of Miriam is largely unknown. We see bits and pieces of Miriam's story. But for the most part, Miriam lives in the shadows of Scripture. We don't know her day-to-day in the kingdom. We know things that she did, but we don't know much about her. Sometimes it's hard to, uh, to relate to somebody that we don't know a whole lot about. There's enough given in the Scriptures to teach us valuable insights about Miriam. I want to talk to you about the phases of Miriam. There's the young Miriam, there's middle Miriam, and there's latter Miriam. Exodus 2. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister, who's that sister? Miriam, then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying. She felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister again, who was this? Miriam approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Can you say amen? God bless you as you're seated. Amen. It's easy to get lost in the details of the rest of the story. The story is fascinating. I don't want to get lost in the details of the rest of the story because I want you to think about Miriam today. But just put it in perspective for a few moments. If you look at Exodus chapter 1, you find that the Egyptian king, they call him the Pharaoh, um, he he was afraid of Israel. Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. Long story, but we're getting towards the end of the the story of Israel living in Egypt. And Pharaoh was concerned because the 
Israelite nation, all those slaves in Egypt were growing. They were getting stronger. And Pharaoh was concerned that the Israelites would rise up, rebel against Egypt, and take over Egypt. Not an unfounded fear. Uh, the land of Cush, which bordered Egypt during those days, they had fights for hundreds of years, just like so many nations today. Border nations, they fight, they, they skirmish, they, they have all these uh, tussles about uh, land and boundaries and government, whatever. And for a period of time, the, the kingdom of Cush actually took over the Egyptian land. And for a hundred years, there was a Cushite dynasty that ruled over Egypt until they finally kicked them back out and reestablished their own dominance. So it was a real concern for Pharaoh to say the Israelites are getting too strong. So the solution that Pharaoh came up with, brutal, brutal solution, he instructed his midwives, those who helped the Israelite women give birth, he said, if you see that the child is a male child, I want you to kill that boy. Kill every male child. If it's a girl, she can live. His goal, of course, was to weaken the nation of Israel so that the only children being born were women, and they wouldn't grow up to be warriors of that time. You know how... The, the nations and cultures worked during those ages. So in Pharaoh's mind, that was the solution. Kill every male child. God always has a plan, my friend. I don't care what the world has going on. God always has a plan. This world thinks that it's going to develop AI, build its own little set of gods, and somehow become immortal in and of itself. I'm telling you, friend, this world is on a path to destruction. Amen. But God still has a plan for the church. Hallelujah. God has a role for you and me in this world until he comes. Hallelujah. I believe that the church will be taken out of this world someday, and I believe soon. But until that trumpet sounds, until our feet leave the ground, we have a work to do in this world. We have a purpose to exist in this world. We are the church of the living God. Hallelujah. God's hand was in it all. And the midwives of Egypt actually feared God. The God of Israel. What's his name? Come on, what's the name? Today he's Jesus. We know him as Jesus. Jehovah has become our salvation. Amen. In the Old Testament, they knew him as Yahweh or as Jehovah. The midwives of Egypt feared Jehovah. They said, we're not going to kill these children. We don't want the wrath of God to come on us. So they made up stories. They told when the, the king got angry with the midwives because he saw male children were still growing and flourishing. So what happened? I told you to kill them. And the midwives came back with a story saying, well, the, the uh, Israelite women are stronger than the Egyptian women. And when we hear they're in labor, by the time we get there, they're already born. Not exactly true. But you see, they feared God. They would rather risk the wrath of Pharaoh than the wrath of the God of Israel. Amen. 
And the scripture says that God blessed those midwives because of their work for him and blessed them with families. It was a, it was a tremendously, it's fascinating to see how all that story laid out. But at, at that point, the, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, got so frustrated, he knew the midwives weren't going to kill the children, so he gave a decree to everyone, uh, everyone in Egypt, if you see a male Israelite born, take that child and throw him into the Nile River. What lives in the Nile? Crocodiles. The baby didn't drown. The baby would be eaten by the crocodiles of the Nile. Brutal time. About this time, says chapter 2, verse 1, which we read, a man married a woman. Doesn't give their names there in chapter 2. You have to look ahead to chapter 6 to get the names of Moses' father and mother. Amram was his father. Jochebed was his mother. They married. They had a child. They already had Miriam. They already had Aaron. Now this child was born. They didn't name him. The name of Moses was given by whom? Pharaoh's daughter. Something about this child. I don't know how to describe it. The scripture doesn't say what it was about this child. But the scripture does say that Jochebed, Moses' mother, saw that this was a special child. There was something different about this little baby. I don't know what it was, my friend. Uh, I would like to know someday, amen. Uh, but there was something about it. Now, every mom loves their child. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't that, oh, I love this baby. I don't love that. No, but there was something that stood out. There was something that talked to the heart of that mom, Jochebed, uh, that said, this child is special. Uh, this child must be protected. Uh, this child must be nurtured. Uh, this child is going to change the course of human history. Yeah. We've been talking about it before service in our leadership training classes. We've been talking about it in ministerial discussions. Uh, I believe that something is being born here in Christian Apostolic Church. Hallelujah. And my friend, is something special. Hallelujah. That child is special. Uh, what God is doing is special in this church. And it needs to be nurtured, and it needs to be protected, and it needs to be raised. Hallelujah. I believe God is doing a work in Christian Apostolic Church. Amen. I believe that it's going to grow into something tremendous that could change the course of human history, just like Moses' birth changed the course of human history. Enter Miriam. We know nothing about her up to this point. Not sure that we even know her exact age at that point. She was old enough to watch over the kids, but she was still a little girl. Miriam, I admire young Miriam. I'm talking three phases of Miriam, remember? Young Miriam, middle Miriam, latter Miriam. I admire young Miriam. This little girl knew that Egypt was trying to kill her brother. This little girl knew 
Now, should the wrong person find that child? Without thinking, without hesitation, they could grab that child and throw him into the waters of the Nile and watch him drown and be eaten by the crocodiles. This little girl demonstrates faith. This little girl demonstrates courage. This little girl demonstrates uh, initiative. I don't think she thought all this stuff out before. Doesn't give an indication. It just shows her standing at a distance. Because you see, the mom raised Moses for three months. She saw there was something special about this child. And uh, for three months, she, she kept this baby hidden away. But after three months, it was getting obvious and people were starting to notice. So in her desperation, Jacobed, Moses' mom, took a basket woven out of the bulrushes of the Nile River. So not novel, the, the Egyptians made their boats, their seafaring boats and their, their fishing boats out of these same bulrushes. They would cut them, they would weave them, and then they would cover them with pitch, with tar to seal these boats and very, very durable boats. So it was not a novel idea, but she borrowed that idea. She said, let me get a basket and let me seal it like they do the boats. And then she put this baby in. Can you imagine, moms, can you imagine taking your newborn baby and putting him or her in a basket and setting it afloat on the river? It was desperation on Jacobed's part, but it was also faith. Something was happening. Miriam stayed behind after her mom put this child in the bulrushes. These bulrushes grow up to 16 feet tall. You could hide a lot in the bulrushes. She hid this basket in the bulrushes, the movement of the water, of course, soothing to the child and Miriam stood at a distance trying to be inconspicuous and watch, hoping and praying that nothing happened to that child. What happens next? Hollywood can't come up with this, friend. This is the word of God. Amen. The princess, the daughter of Pharaoh, comes with her entourage of maidens. They have the habit of bathing in the Nile River. So this princess comes down to the edge of the Nile, and her maidens, her servants were with her, and they were getting ready for the princess's bath. Somebody noticed this basket. Princess said, bring it. And when they opened the basket, it says the child was crying. And God touched the heart of the princess. Oh, what a beautiful story, amen. She said, this must be one of the Hebrew children. Oh, she didn't know. This wasn't just one of the Hebrew children. This was the prophet of God. Amen. This was a child that would change the course of human history. But God impressed on her, gave her love and compassion. And she said, oh, I'm going to save this baby's life. And there's Miriam standing over here. She's just a young girl. I, I don't know how old she is. Take a guess. Five, six, seven. I don't know. She's just a young child. But she she is there and she's watching. She is caring for the situation. 
And when the princess opens up that basket, she could have run away and never seen her brother again. But instantly she said, I've got to do something. I want to take care of my brother. And she runs up to the princess and she says, ma'am, would you like for a Hebrew lady to be a nursemaid to this child? Again, Hollywood can't come up with this kind of plot, my friend. This is God's story. Amen. It's fascinating. Princess says, that would be awesome. This baby's not weaned yet. He needs somebody to take care of him. I know a lady that would be happy to take care of him. Of course, that's Moses' mom, Marion's mom. Princess says, I'll pay her to raise the child. Friend, God isn't God amazing. This child that should have been dead by all means, by all accounts, now the princess is actually paying his own mom to raise the child. Amen. Tremendous story. Miriam is so excited. She has faith. She has initiative. She's thinking on her feet. I got to admire young Miriam. Fast forward several years. Children are considered weaned about four or five years of age. The child, Moses, went to live in Pharaoh's palace. Now he has all the benefit of the Egyptian schooling and the, the, the training and the, the arts of, of war and the arts of finance, arts of government. He was trained to be a successor to the throne of Egypt. Again, God preparing a leader that would know how to govern his people when they were delivered from Egypt. God's hand is amazing. The next time we see Miriam is a lot later. You know the story, and I don't want to get lost in the details, but there's this whole story of deliverance from Egypt. You know the plagues, right? The story of the plagues where God came and smote Egypt with the frogs and with the lice and with the water turned to blood and with the hailstones and with darkness and with finally the, the death of the firstborn. They leave Egypt. And what happens on their way out of Egypt? They get to a a seabed, a sea bank, and they look behind them, and there's Pharaoh's army coming behind them. And they look to the left and the right. There are mountains, there's desert, there's nowhere to go. They're trapped. And God works one of the greatest miracles that we see recorded in human history. Amen. It's amazing how God took the uh, the, the waters of the Red Sea and divided the waters of the Red Sea. Friend, that's not a made-up story. These are stories that boggled our imagination. But just for a moment, imagine this big old sea. Like going down to the coast or going to, I don't know, Browning Lake or Calaveras or this big, huge body of water. And God causes a wind to start blowing. And overnight, this wind blows. And when they wake up, the wind has blown the waters apart. And it says literally on this side, it was like a wall of water rising up. Uh, 
I don't know if you could put your hand through it or not, but it was fascinating because the water didn't act like water. It was just this wall of water on this side. And over here, there's this wall of water rising up. And through the middle of it all is a perfectly dry path. You don't dry out a seabed overnight, my friend. But God does things that we can only begin to imagine. Amen. He opened the path through the seabed. And he caused Israel to cross through the sea, dry land. Oh, praise God. They all get across. There were about estimated six million people that made it across. Plus all of the cattle. Plus all of the tents. Plus it was a, a big process to get across. But when they got back, they looked back and what was happening? Pharaoh said, if you can do it, we can do it. And we're coming for you. People started freaking out. What's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, we're lost. Because instead of focusing on the deliverance of God, how, how often do we do that, my friend? God gives us a miracle. God gives us a victory. And instead of being excited about it, we say, oh, but, but, but the enemy is going to do this. They're standing at the edge of a miracle. And they look back and Pharaoh's coming. The armies, the chariots, the horses, the footmen are all walking through, running through that dry seabed. And God says, remember how you stretched out your staff yesterday and caused the wind to blow? Stretch out your staff again over the Red Sea. He waited until all of the army was in the seabed, stretched out his rod, and the waters collapsed right on top of the Egyptian army. They all died. The scripture says that they watched the bodies of the Egyptians being washed up on the shore. Amen. And then we see something for the very first time. In Scripture, we see a song recorded in Scripture. Exodus chapter 15. Can I get some little bit of help over here for just a moment? Amen. Praise God. Exodus 15. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Hallelujah. They began to sing. They said, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Hallelujah. They began to sing. They began to worship God. They had a Pentecostal service. Hallelujah. They were glorifying God. The first song that we see in Scripture is at the Red Sea. That was great. Do you know what else happened? Exodus chapter 15. Verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess. Prophet, prophetess. We don't know anything about her pedic abilities. 
But something's been happening that we don't know about. I'm telling you, a lot is lost in the shadows of Scripture. But we know from this verse that Miriam had grown up into somebody that was used by God as a prophet. Hallelujah. Able to see, able to give messages, able to give direction. And after the whole people of Israel finished singing their song, you know what Miriam did? She said, I'm sorry, but we're not done worshiping God. Hallelujah. I know you guys have been over there worshiping God, but there's a lot of women in the camp that can worship God too. And Miriam, it says, began, she took a tambourine. Hallelujah. Come on. And we got a tambourine. There's another tambourine up there. Amen. There's one there. There's one over there. Someone grab a tambourine. Amen. Praise God. Miriam took a tambourine and began to lead all the women as they played their tambourines. And they danced. And they praised God. We sing it this way in Costa Rica. To my friend Moses, I talk to him face to face. And I tell him exactly what I want him to hear. You may be a prophet, but you're no Moses. He said, Moses is the only one I trust. And Miriam was smitten with leprosy. God cursed her for her bitterness and her jealousy. I don't want to end on a sad note because, friend, the mercy of God is forever. I said, oh, praise the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Yeah, she was cursed. Yeah, she had stricken with leprosy, a death sentence. But Aaron runs up to Moses and says, oh man, please, we're sorry. We blew it. Pray for us that God have mercy. And Moses prayed and God was still mad at Miriam, but he said, I'll have mercy. Give her seven days and she'll be healed. But you know what? I don't see Miriam mentioned again after her healing. Then again, I didn't see her mentioned before either. She's lost in the shadow of Scripture. But I see young Miriam, and I admire young Miriam. And I see middle Miriam, and she's dancing, and she's singing, and she's shouting the glories of God. I love middle Miriam. I pray to God that I never get to be latter, Miriam, consumed with jealousy, anger, and bitterness. And I close to you, reminding you what God told the Ephesian church, book of Revelation chapter 2. He said, I admire you, church of Ephesus, but I have something against you. You have left your first love. 
Somehow you lost the middle Miriam experience. You lost that love for God. You lost that excitement. How long has it been since you danced or played a tambourine or lifted your hands and glorified God? Ephesus, you become latter, Miriam. You've lost that excitement in God. But you know what? He said, I want you to go back to where you started. He said, I want you to do the first works. I want you to reclaim your first love. In other words, bitter, empty, jealous, latter Miriam. You can go back to the middle Miriam experience. You can go back to that place where you're shouting the glories of God. Hallelujah. You can go back to where the dance is natural. The song is spontaneous. The glory of God is not something you get once in a while. It's every time you come in the house of God, there's glory of God. You can go back to that. And I'm calling you to go back to your first works, to your first love. Maybe you've reached that point of latter Miriam. Maybe you feel empty. Maybe you have anger issues. Maybe there's jealousy. I don't know what it is, but it sapped your strength away from God. Hear the voice of God. Don't give up hope. God warned Ephesus because he loved them. He said, I want you to get back to where you used to be. Repent. Do again the first works. Put yourself back on the riverbank, Miriam, where you're standing there as a little child, trusting God and believing that if you act in faith, God's going to hear you. Most adults would never have done what Miriam did on the riverbank. Miriam, I need you to go back to that place where you're bold enough to walk up to a princess and say, I've got a solution for you. You're going to change the course of human history, Miriam. I need you to go back to that place where you're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I need you to go back to that place where you're not ashamed to be in church. I need you to go back to the place where you're not ashamed to raise your hands and let tears run down your face. I need you to go back to that middle Miriam where you can dance and sing and shout the glories of God. Take me back, oh God. Take me back, dear Lord. I want to go back to the first works. I want to leave Latter Miriam behind. I want to get back to the first love. I want to get back to where I used to be in God. That power in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Maybe you've never been there. I don't want this message to fall on empty ears. You've never had the middle Miriam experience. You can get to that place in God. Hallelujah. I'm calling you to make your way to the middle Miriam stage. 
where you're not waiting on Pastor Scamilla to say, come on, let's pray. Not waiting on Sister Malou, Brother Hernandez, anyone else to say, let's sing. You grab your own tambourine. You make your own dance. Hallelujah. You have your own altar service. This altar's open. This altar's open. The Holy Ghost is calling you. Come on back. Come on. Come back to your 